The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. you to take some notes if you're able to, even if you need to hijack some paper and pen from someone around you. Uh, we, I want us to write some things down. I love coming together and worshiping together, uh, but if that's the extent of my worship life, it's going to dry out. It's not going to be uh, effective in my day-to-day living. Well, it's the same with the Word. If we come together and we hear sermons or we hear messages, but then that's the extent of our life in the Word, it's going to be problematic. So I enjoy writing some things down because while we're here together receiving this word as a group, as as a congregation, there's things that are going to be in the word today that God is wanting to emphasize in our lives specifically, individually, and they're wonderful things. And it's a good thing for us to visit with the Holy Spirit about the things that we receive together to see what he's speaking to us personally and individually. So if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. These are just things that we're looking for in the message. A few things that we can look forward to. And they can stir a little anticipation in us from time to time. Some of them may sound like things that maybe you want in your life. So we're going to find out, number one, how to receive from God. How to receive from God. Now that one would have already perked my ears up a little bit. There's a lot of things that I'm desiring to see God do. And I'm sure that you're no different. I'm sure that there's things that you're desiring to see God do in your life or in the lives of those around you as, as an intercessor, as a friend. I want to find out how to receive from God. We're going to see that in the Word. Another thing that we're going to find is what is required to live. What is required to live? Now, we're in this room and we are alive. At least you can look over at your neighbor and maybe make sure, give him a little nudge. We're not talking about to be alive, we're talking about to live. I mean, God has called us to live an abundant life. What's required to live? We're going to see that in the scripture. And the third thing that we're going to find is why you don't need to worry. Why you don't need to worry. Now, how many of you, I mean, it's okay, it's, it's, it's okay to confess in church. How many of you have ever worried before, right? I mean, if I had more arms, I'd just raise them all, right? And I mean, like, don't raise your hands now. How many of you are kind of worried about something right now, right? So I want to find out. Oh, my wife raised her hand. God help me. <laughs> Do we need to talk? This is a great group. We could just talk right now. I think they could help us. <laughs> uh, but why we don't need to worry. I want to get into the Word, and i got to tell you something. I made some adjustments in where we were going. So if I pause or I break, just know that it's intentional. I'm really believing God for something for this group, this group of people right here today. And I really love where I see things going. And when you have a picture for where things are going, it's an exciting thing. But you want to make sure that you get there. And that's really my heart's desire. And let me just tell you kind of what the picture is. I want to celebrate life in a spirit-filled church community. I love that. I've grown up in churches that I think could be described as charismatic churches. They believed in the things of the Holy Ghost, and and they believed in the Scripture and the Word. 
But what makes a spirit-filled church community a spirit-filled church community is Holy Spirit-filled people. It's not what the website says. It's not in your statement of faith. It's not in what you say you believe. It's in who we are. And so when I look from a distance, I can see that, and it's a wonderful thing. I see people being born again and people being baptized in the Holy Spirit and wonderful things happening. Now, for me, then, the goal is to say, well, how do we get there? What does it take to get from where we're at here to there? And I think today's message might help us in doing those things. Now, we're reading a book together. Now, you might be behind. That's okay. You can get caught up. I can tell you this week's chapter in the book was really awesome. It had some wonderful insight and baptism in the Holy Spirit and things along those lines. I want to pull from from the reading there. I want to just take a, a, a couple verses of Scripture and open up today's message with those verses. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you were looking up that prayer just a moment ago, you're close. You're probably just one page away. Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read verses 13 and 14. Now, when we read these, I want you to understand something. I am so in love with you. God is so in love with you. He wants to see incredible things happen in my life and in your life. And as we read this, it's important for us to keep all of those things in mind. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed in that message, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now verse 14. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with the view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. That's how it reads. But I think it's important to turn there, to read it yourself, because if you're like me, when you read things, your brain interprets it into how you speak. And if that's not how you speak, then it just becomes something of a riddle. What's being said there is that We have these things that God is doing in our life. They're great things. He's released good news. He's released the gospel. Not just a story or a bit of information, but a reality. Something that actually happened. The good news is that we have a Savior and a Redeemer. And that good news is meant to move us to the fullness of joy, celebration, that we were once destined for wrath and destruction, and now we have the fullness of life bestowed upon us. That's quite an exchange. So we have that great news, we have that message of salvation, and when we come to a place where we believe in that, and by the way, I'm a firm believer of realizing what the word believe means. Sometimes I scratch it out in my Bible, and I'll change it from believe to put trust in. So when we come to a place where we put our trust in that message, put our trust in that good news, something wonderful happens. God does something great. He's promised that He'd pour out the Holy Spirit. You hear Jesus speak about it often. And when He speaks about it, He tells everybody that this is really awesome stuff. 
I mean, people are probably in a bit of a mood because they're not really understanding what's going on, but Jesus would just stop them and say, hey, listen up, guys. This is to your advantage. It's to your advantage. This is why I need to go away. This is why I need to go to the cross. This is why I need to conquer death. This is why I need to be raised up. This is why I'm going to ascend into heaven and I'm going to sit upon the throne and I'm going to reign forevermore. This is why. This is why. Because with all of those things coming in to the fullness, with all of those things happening, something awesome is going to happen for you. God's going to release the promised Holy Spirit. And that's the purpose. That's this wonderful, wonderful thing that's taking place. And when we read here in Ephesians, we see something. The gospel's released. And then we come to the place where we put our trust in it. And then there's this wonderful thing that takes place. According to Paul, we're sealed in Jesus by the Holy Ghost. That's a wonderful thing that happens. I remember when that event happened in my life, it was a really powerful event. And what's amazing is that really powerful event has helped me hold it together at times when I didn't feel like I was succeeding as a believer. Evidence that God's done something great that we can look to, that we can stand upon, that we can point to. And I want that for all believers so that they can have that assurance and that awareness. It protects us from wondering if something good really did happen in our lives. God hasn't called us to walk a life filled with mystery and doubt. He's given us proof and evidence by sealing us with His Spirit. And it goes on to say that this is a, a glimpse of things to come, a pledge. I mean, the word that we can use to relate to the word pledge is like a down payment, so to speak. There's wonderful things to come. But what I know is I know this. God is calling us to function and operate. Filled with His Spirit. Sealed by His Spirit. Walking in that pledge of things to come. Knowing that the kingdom of heaven is a wonderful place that we're, just, we're called to function and operate in. But it's not a place that one day we'll go to. It's a place that He's made available right here to us now. To say it in fewer words and to be a little more simplistic about it, Jesus did not die so that we could go to heaven. He gave his life so that heaven could come to us. And when we begin to function and operate like this, I believe we begin to function and operate as we've been intended to function and operate, depending upon one another, loving one another, functioning in the fullness of his grace and his glory. And I want to see that with all of my heart. So if that's something that God's called us to, I want to get into the scripture in pursuit of those things. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And remember we went through a few things that we were going to find in the Word. That first thing that we were going to find was how to receive from God. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. This is where we're going to see that. How to receive from God. How to receive from God. Luke chapter 11, I want to begin reading in verse 9. 
In verse 9, it's Jesus speaking. He's speaking to you and me, and he says this. He says, I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. He goes on to say this. He says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Would you give him a snake instead? Or if he asked you for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? And he says this in verse 13. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we see something here that's really awesome. One, we're seeing that Jesus is revealing to us our relationship with our maker. It's not one where God has positioned himself to be supreme ruler, even though he has every right to do so. But Jesus is speaking to us about our relationship with our maker as father and son. And he's telling us of his perfect and unconditional love. And he's comparing it to us. Our love can be imperfect. It can come with conditions. But he's saying even us in that relationship of father to son know how to give good gifts. And in talking about good gifts, he's revealing even more. He's revealing the Holy Spirit, which is the gift that he's speaking of, that God's going to give. It's a good thing. And he's revealing in all of this information, all of this call, the process to receive this good gift from God. When he opens up by saying to ask and to seek and to knock, He uses absolute terms like everyone. Everyone who asks receives. Well, I mean, you've heard it before when we run into absolute words. I mean, who all is everyone? It's all inclusive. No one's excluded from everyone. And this is the word that he's using. So he's telling us these things. He's talking about this good gift and he's revealing to us this process that obviously works no matter who we are or where we've come from. And as he's telling us this process, I would like for us today to say, I'm going to pay attention to this process with this in mind. Jesus is showing me how to receive great things from God. So he starts by telling us to ask. I want to talk about asking. When Jesus tells me to ask God for things, my brain hits a bit of a brick wall. I'll tell you why. Because there's some elements in the scripture that I have to reconcile that with. Jesus is telling me to ask God for something. But when Jesus is talking about speaking to God in prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he tells me something specific. You can write it down for your notes, Matthew 6, 8. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So that's where my brain kind of stops for a second. And so what Jesus is telling me to ask him And then on the other hand, Jesus is telling me God already knows everything that I need before I ask him. So what's the point in asking? And that's really where we ought to pay attention. Because asking has a wonderful point that comes with it. Asking puts us in the position of humility. Asking by definition is a request, not a demand. 
So as Jesus is giving us instruction to ask, he's teaching us how to approach the Father. To come to the Father making demands. To come bossing Him around and giving orders. And by the way, I've been in churches where I've seen that. And people will label it as boldness. And I just think it's bad manners. I'm concerned we have a device in my home. After Saturday's men's meeting, I'm concerned for many reasons. We, we had some very amazing conversation. If you guys aren't there, you're missing out. Yeah. We've got a device at home that, that has a name. Her name is Alexa. Yeah. And, and it's doing something in my home that I'm, I'm not proud of. I, I remember one day hearing my sons, my excellent sons, my amazing sons, they were just using the product as it's designed to be used, you know. Alexa, what's the temperature? Alexa, is it going to rain today? Alexa, how do you spell whatever? And I just thought, you know, my boys are being trained to boss a woman around. This isn't going to end well, right? You don't want to do that. I mean... He, he, there's enough of that in you as it is. You've got to get that out. And, and so I'm wondering, and maybe we ought to make a petition to Google and just say, can you, can you put, like, maybe a good manner app on Alexa? So it's like, excuse me, Alexa, could you please tell me what time it is? But instead of making demands, hey, God, do this. Father, do that. Jesus is telling us, hey, ask. Ask. Because when you ask, you're, you're out of the mentality of making demands. You're not positioning yourself above God, directing Him as if He needs your insight or your direction. But you rightly position yourself to make the request, to have a, a submitted heart, a surrendered mentality, to walk in humility. So ask. And it's amazing that that humility opens up doors for great things, amazing things. If we can just step out of the mentality of making demands, even if we do label it bold, a demand is a demand. If we can step out of that mentality and move into the direction of Jesus to be those that ask God. You know, I say please a lot when I pray, and I don't know if that's just kind of a Texas thing, you know. But I like it. I like it. I think it's a good thing. When we step into that mentality that is humble, there's something really amazing opened up to us. You can write it down for your notes. Take this down if you like. You can turn there. James chapter 4, verse 6. Now remember, the whole point of this, we're talking about how to receive from God. How to receive from God. So keep that in mind as we read this verse. How to receive from God. James chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud. I got news for you. You don't want God opposed to you. There's no winning that. But He gives grace to the humble. 
I mean, just you can look at that if you want. You can circle it. You can underline it. You can just make a, a little mark in your mind to remember. He gives. Can you just say gives? Yeah, that's an important word. I want to say it again for you to say it again. He gives. It's good for us to see God as a giver. He gives grace to the humble. And as we're looking to receive from God, as we're desiring to receive from God, as we believe in the gospel, and then we seek after and ask Him and pursue the promise, the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that He made available to seal us, that down payment, everything that we read of that Paul wrote. It's good for us to step into that with the mentality that sees God as a giver and positions us with a humble heart to receive from Him. There can be no room for pride to make demands. But Jesus, in His perfect instruction, tells us to be those who would ask. He's positioning us to receive from a giving Heavenly Father. Now there's some things that can get in the way of asking. If you want to take these down for your notes, you you can take these down. James chapter 4 verse 2, you know, pride can get in the way. Pride can get in the way of asking. It's important for us to be able to ask and not to suffer a pride that would hinder us in our ability to ask and therefore receive from God. James chapter 4 verse 2, it reads like this, you don't have because you do not ask. That's a really simple way to say that. If you take that in line with the other things that we've spoken about, I think we can really see something that expands beyond those words. You don't have because you do not ask. You don't have because you demand. You don't have because you don't soften your heart or position yourself to ask and make requests. Oftentimes I'll see believers who, whether they want to call it boldness or whatever, will stand and make demand on God to do things. And when you see that, you've got to see that's only going to bring opposition. It's not going to open up the generosity of our Heavenly Father. Asking is important to function outside of the pride that would hinder us from receiving. Here's another thing that can keep us from asking and receiving. Unbelief. Unbelief. I'd like to give you a passage of Scripture here for your notes. Matthew 21, verse 22. Now, these are the words of Jesus here. He says, In all things that you ask in prayer, believe you will receive. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, they read like this. But a man needs to ask God in faith without doubting. The one that doubts is like the surf of the sea. It's driven and it's tossed by the wind. And a man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from God if he's double-minded. And then catch this, because I think this is important. You ever heard the expression that a broken clock is right twice a day? Right? Well, it's true. I mean, a broken clock is right twice a day. But catch this in James. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You'd think maybe he'd be stable half the time, 
The reality is, if we can't come to the position where we see that God is a giver, that he loves us, that he's generous toward us, that his love is unconditional, and that his generosity is without measure, it can be problematic. We begin to define his ability to respond based on how we see the size or the scope of our need. He doesn't see things like we see things. Another issue that can hinder us in our asking, remember asking is the humbling of the heart, the positioning ourselves to receive from God, would be transgression. Transgression. Now, I say transgression on purpose. If you want to write this down for your notes, you can. It's not necessarily a part of the message, but I think it's a good thing to understand. Moses and God had a conversation. The conversation was about who God is and, and how he operates and functions. It's a wonderful piece of, of history recorded for us to celebrate. And in this conversation, God speaks to Moses, and he tells him a few things that are interesting, and we ought to pay attention to them. He, he says, I forgive, and he lists three things that he forgives. Now, those three things are sin, transgression, and iniquity. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. So sin is something that can happen without my knowledge of it. I, I've had that happen often. You know, I, I didn't mean to, but I did, and it's wrong. And just because I didn't mean to doesn't make it right. Sin is something when it's brought to our attention, the sinner ought to be like, oh, I had no idea. I'd stepped in that. We've got to clean this up right away. Then there's transgression. Now, transgression means you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway. It's rebellion is what it is. And I got to say, I've done that too. Well, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I want to, so I will. And isn't God good that he would pardon transgression? And then there's iniquity, and iniquity is this monstrous thing where transgression has become so consistent that it has become a way of life, a part of a person's identity. Iniquity is something that can be passed on. It can be uh, hereditary. And it's an unfortunate thing that iniquities can exist in families and things like that. You can see it in the scripture, but God's promise in the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to break iniquity. And isn't that awesome? So when I say transgression, I'm referring to the rebellion. I'm referring to that mentality of, hey, I know that this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. If we have that in our heart, it's going to hinder our ability to ask and receive from God. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, that means if I make a place for it. It doesn't mean something happened, and I'm totally disturbed that that happened. And I'm going to make it right as soon as I can. This means, you know what, it happens and I've made a place for it. I didn't just find it and then cast it out. I found it and I made a room for it. A place for it to live and exist. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That might seem like it's a bit of a stretch, but remember, we're looking at how to receive from God and it starts with asking. What good is asking if he can't hear you? It's important for us to search our hearts and make sure there's not a rebellious transgression that exists that we've made room for, that we won't allow the people of God to minister to, the power of God to minister to. It's going to require us to function and operate as the body 
to confess our sins to one another. Does that scare anyone in the room? (laughs) I got news for you. That can be a scary thing. But the reality is the result is amazing, powerful. To be clean and to be free from bondage and affliction is to function and operate as God designed us. And then iniquity. If you want to take down one for your notes, Isaiah 59 verse 2. Isaiah 59 verse 2, it reads like this, but your iniquities have made separation between you and God and hidden his face so that he does not hear. Again, remember, we're wanting to ask God. I want to ask God. I want to ask God to receive the things that he's promised. And he's promised wonderful and magnificent things. At the pinnacle of those things, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is preparing us in our hearts and in our minds as he's instructing us to ask. We have to examine our heart to see to it that transgression and iniquity, rebellion and those things that we've made a place for aren't allowed to remain. We come to a place where pride and unbelief have to be laid down. And I've got news for you. Sometimes that requires an extension of God's mercy. There have been things that I've had trouble believing for. And God gave me a gift to believe him, even just for a second. And in that second, something changed. He's good. He loves us. And he hasn't made this to be a puzzle or a riddle that hopefully we can figure out. He's leading us and guiding us through every one of these steps. It's why Jesus wouldn't say, hey, guys, God's going to give you something awesome. Hope you figure it out. Let me know how it turns out. But he'd say, listen, ask. And as he's saying ask, we can come into the awareness that this is about our heart. This is about not commanding or demanding that God do something, but requesting. And then he tells us to seek. He says, seek and you'll find. Seeking is an important thing. I think people can ask. I think asking probably has a people group that is the most vast, the greatest in number. Because oftentimes asking doesn't cost you anything. But then you step into seeking. Now Jesus is is taking this up a notch as it concerns receiving from God. He's saying ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Now, asking is the condition of our heart. We're we're humbling our heart. Seeking is positioning ourselves to receive. I'd mentioned to you before we're going to find out what is required to live. I'd like to do that now just for the sake of adding some priority and urgency to the concept of seeking. What is required to live? If you want to take it down for your notes, you can write down Amos. How many of you just thought about chocolate chip cookies? How many of you are thinking of them now? Amos. Amos chapter 5 verse 4. It reads like this. For this is what the Lord says. Seek me that you may live. Seek me that you may live. I mean, we could spend all of the time that we have this morning just discussing and and pondering the depth of that short little sentence. 
that to come to know the life of God, that abundant life, that Zoe life that, that Jesus brought into our existence through His sacrifice, through the resurrection, the ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the life that God has called us to is the result of seeking Him. Seek me that you may live. Now, I don't want us to look at seeking as if it's a, a works-oriented thing, though it does require us to do things. I haven't achieved things by working hard. We don't have levels or degrees of Christianity. I don't stand here and say, well, I'm the pastor of the church because I'm a third-degree Christian. And maybe one day if you work hard enough, you could probably get in the, you know, you might cut the, the 10 mark, you know. We'll see. You got promise. It doesn't work like that. Seeking is about how we live our lives. There's things that I want, and so I ask God for them. Now then, after I've asked God for them, am I positioning myself for those things to come to pass? There's some things I'm tempted to tell you, and I'm concerned that if I do tell you, I might tip my hand a little bit. I'll go ahead and let you know, oftentimes in any kind of a counseling situation, you're dealing with people that are wanting to see something or else they wouldn't be there. So obviously they've already asked, right? Hey, can you meet with us? Sure, I'd love to. And so then you meet and you begin to listen and, and these things are unfolding. You're finding out what it is that they're wanting. They're wanting to receive something. So you can provide counsel and advice and things like that. But one of the things that I like to provide is a little homework hey, why don't you go read these things together and then come back? And what's funny is sometimes they come back and they've read it and there's an excitement and you understand this person's willing to change their life to get the result they want. Other times you'll never hear from them again because they're not willing to change their life to get the things they want. They want the things without the change. And that describes a lot of people. It's very unfortunate. I like that we're reading the book together because I know as a church collectively, if I were to stand and say, how many of us would like to see a church filled with the strongest disciples walking in the fullness of the power of God and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, people would cheer, yes. And then you say, well, let's read this book together and pursue that. The question is, are we willing to go and put ourselves in the position for these things to come to pass? Or are they things that we just want, hoping that it will just happen? Now, if any of you are ashamed that you haven't been reading, that wasn't the purpose of that statement. But you should read it. You really should. Seeking. I remember when I was a kid. I grew up with an older brother, and he was a, a, a baseball guy. And so as a kid, I just thought, well, that's what, you know, little boys do. They play baseball. I'd watch and go to his games, and I thought, well, I can't wait till I'm old enough. Now, we were different, and we are different. Even today, my, my brother is just very different than I am. But when I was young, I had really poor vision. Really poor vision. And so the doctor prescribed these glasses that, that just almost needed like a neck brace for me to hold up. Because I'd put them on and be like, I mean, they're big. And they were, were bifocal. And so, you know, I'm wearing my giant bifocals. And I decide I'm going to play baseball. 
Now, had there been a coach that would have told me, hit the ball in the middle, I probably would have been awesome. But I mean, every time something's coming at me, I'm seeing multiples. I don't know where it's at. And I have zero depth perception, you know. And I'm a nice kid, right? So nobody wants to, like, hurt my feelings. And so we're in a game there. And I remember this game, you know. I, things were going well. I, I didn't have to swing the bat. I got walked, so I, I got on base. <laughs> Which that was, that was my thing, man. Like, this is baseball to me. Go ahead. Right, getting closer. Almost. No, no. Oh, I get to go to first. That was a good day for me playing baseball. But then this day, oh, my family came. My, my family was there. I remember my grandparents were there. It was a big deal, right? I mean, all of a sudden now, I'm, I'm a star. And so I think the coach knew that my family was there, and they decided, well, let's let him play a little defense, you know? Let's put the king of the walk out there in, in right field. And, and so I'm out in the field. Like most kids, I'm looking at the weeds, you know, chasing bugs or whatever. And you know that sound that aluminum bat makes when it makes really good contact, that ping? I mean, you go, you could just drive past the park and hear it. You'd be like, that one's out of here, you know. You just hear it, ping. Well, I heard it, ping. And I'm looking, and I didn't move my feet at all. And everyone's, press time, press time, press time. That's what you hear in the distance. Press time, press time, press time. <laughs> I look up, and there, well, here comes a ball. I mean, it's coming right toward me. And I'm thinking, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus. Because, I mean, I'm about to look like an all-star. And so I hold my glove up. As I'm holding it up, the ball's getting closer. <laughs> Listen, those glasses were thick. But they came unglued when they got hit by that ball. I mean, just shattered. Things are flying everywhere, you know. From my perspective, just the audio, it was like, ping, Preston, Preston. I mean, lights out. <laughs> you know, it, and I remember they got me up and they picked me up and they're, you know, everyone's like, ah, you know, and, and <clears throat> you know, I didn't want to cry because, you know, it's just baseball, right? I mean, my family's here. And then I found out that I was going to get a snow cone. <laughs> so I tried to milk it for the big snow cone, you know. But that, that whole thing is just this goofy story. I mean, sure, I, I couldn't see, but not being able to see wasn't the problem. I was just out of position. I mean, seriously, had I been a half a step over to the right, I would have caught it and just been the king of baseball. They would have carried me off on their shoulders. Preston, Preston. But sometimes there's things coming our way that we're meant to receive, and we just don't receive them because we're out of position. And even when we have an awesome coach who's like, move over, move over, move over, he's trying to give us direction, you're just out of position, scoot, scoot, scoot. 
If we refuse to, if we just keep our feet planted, whether it's a fear or a paralysis, if we don't position ourselves to receive, we'll miss it. Or in my case, take it right in the face. It was a big black eye, man. It's huge. I think that might have been my final baseball game. <laughs> yeah. But God's positioning us. He's giving us direction in his word. And our ability to, to lay down our lives and the things that we're comfortable doing and the places we're comfortable being to move into the position that he's leading us to are going to affect what we receive. I want to give you a passage of scripture, a couple of passages here. I'll give you Psalm 34, verse 10. Psalm 34, verse 10, it reads like this, that young lions suffer lack and hunger. Now, you've got to just stop there and realize this isn't about lions. This is about saying the things that have strength and are the, the pinnacle of the, of the predator, the top of the food chain. Even these things suffer lack. It's trying to communicate that no matter how strong, no matter how fast, no matter how sharp, you could have lack. The young lions, they suffer. But they who seek the Lord shall never be in want of any good thing. How awesome is that? Isn't that great? To seek, though, that's the word. I mean, that's the word that I want to circle and underline and say, well, I want to understand that word. If that's the difference between receiving good things from you and not receiving, teach me to seek. I don't want it to mean the same thing as ask. I want it to be different. Obviously, Jesus means it different. He told me to ask. Now he's telling me to seek. I want to be willing to change my life and alter my life. I want to be willing to change my mind and my heart to fit that which you've called me to fit into. You know, I made a commitment when I became a believer. And I think it's been foundational in a lot of great things. I don't even know why the commitment was made. I, I don't think I could take credit for it. But now looking back, I think, wow, that's pretty cool. But I remember reading the Word, reading the Scripture, and just seeing like, wow, that's where it says that. And oh my goodness, I've heard that, but I've never seen it. And I was reading through the Scripture, and I remember in prayer saying this to God, saying, Father, I never want to base who you are on what I think. But I always want to base what I think on who you are. You want to know what I believe that prayer was saying? I'm willing to seek you. I'm willing to move from where I'm anchored right here to where you're calling me to be because I know you're calling me to great things. I'm willing to surrender my ways to pursue yours. You know what's amazing like that? If you're wondering, how do you do that? How do you seek God? I want to give you a passage of scripture really quick. We're going to move fast through the rest of this. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is a wonderful chapter where you see a man named Daniel. Daniel is a prisoner of war. Imagine being captured by ISIS. And then being exalted to a position of leadership all because of the favor of God on your life. I mean, it's a wild story to read and it's real, it's history. I mean, that's not made up, that happened. That's the power of the favor of God. Even to be surrounded by those who hate you, God can make a way for wonderful and favorable things to come to pass. 
Now, Daniel in chapter 9 is grieved for the loss that his people have suffered. And so he begins to seek the Lord. But when we read about him seeking the Lord, and I want you to read it in your own time, it's really awesome. He repents for an entire nation. You and I can repent for an entire nation. We can repent for a city. We can repent for a congregation. We can begin to repent and and stand in the gap for people, crying out to God, saying, Father, we desire change, and we repent for the immorality. We repent for the, the divorce rate. We repent for these things, and we desire to see your spirit reign over Abilene. I mean, we can learn wonderful things by Daniel's example. But I want to learn something specific in verse 3. Kind of the how-to. How to seek God. Because we've talked about seeking God, and it's been kind of enjoyable, right? A funny baseball story. I'm, I'm really glad that you guys think me getting jacked in the face is funny. <laughs> I love you too. It is funny. But Daniel chapter 3 or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 3, says something, and I want to pay attention to the words. So Daniel says, So I gave attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Okay, well, right now I'm not interested in talking about ashes and sackcloth and fasting and supplication and prayer. Those are things that I hope we do talk about in the near future because we need to. But right now, I think that in the opening words of that sentence, you see instruction on how to seek the Lord. Look at how it started. So I gave my attention to the Lord. For me and you, right here, right now, if we want to be a people who ask, you know, that's a heart thing. We're not going to demand that God do things. We're going to ask Him. We're going to to be humble. And then to seek, let's pay attention to Him. Stop paying attention to the things of the world. Stop paying attention to the things that social media would tell us. Stop paying attention to the things that would lead us down paths that are are rooted in popular culture or, or even have demonic foundations. But start paying attention to him. And I think if we can start paying attention to him, then we've taken the first step to seeking him. Now here's some things that can get in the way of seeking God. I'll give them to you quickly. You're not going to like the way this sounds. I don't like the way it sounds, but think about it and let it soak in. Godlessness. Godlessness. The wicked in their haughtiness of countenance do not seek him. All of their thoughts are there is no God. That's Psalm 10 verse 4. Now, here's where this kind of the rubber meets the road for me. I take this as a passage, and I don't think it just describes wicked people. Even though you could say it does, that's fine. I like to run it forward and backwards because I could still apply this to my life. If I'm not seeking God, I'm behaving as if there is no God. And by definition, it's wicked. This passage of Scripture has more depth and meaning to it if we can just... Open it up, look at it, soak on it, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, what does that mean to me? I don't think that's just meant for Muslims. I think that's meant for Christians. I want to read that passage and find out, what does that mean for me? Because there are times in my life when I've taken matters in my own hand. And in that moment, at that time, I was walking as if there was no God. It was wicked. And it didn't produce the results that I desired. And I think God is preparing us with his word to walk rightly. 
I'll give you a passage of scripture here, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Talks about pleasing God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For the one that comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Who seek Him. That passage of Scripture has been used in more messages on faith than I can count. But I think the emphasis needs to be on the seeking. The seeking. Are we willing to surrender our lives? Are we willing to be the clay and let Him be the potter and just say, you know, shape me however you want. I'm tired of trying to shape myself. If that's got to go, let it go. If that needs to come, let it come. But you be in charge. As you read Daniel chapter 9, like we mentioned before, when you read it in your own time, you'll see some amazing things as you get to verse 13. I want to read them to you quickly. Remember, he's going to pay attention to God and begin to seek him. And he says, you know, difficult things have come on us, hard things. He uses the word calamity. That means really bad. And we haven't sought your favor by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Wonderful instruction about change, transformation, turning away from the things that are causing the problem and paying attention to the things that bring the solution. So Jesus has told us to ask, he's told us to seek, and he's taught us how to do both of these things. Then there's the third one that I want to touch on very quickly, and we'll be finished. He gives us the instruction to knock. Now, I mentioned before, asking, I think, is a large people group. I think anyone can ask. It really doesn't cost you anything. Then seeking requires us to surrender our lives to the hand of God, which not everyone is as interested in that, so it shrinks a little more. And then you get to knocking, and I think this group even gets more refined. Because knocking is going to require something that's very unnatural for people. I want you to just consider this. Asking is surrendering our heart to be humble. Seeking is positioning ourselves to receive from God. Knocking is surrendering to God's timing. What a simple thing that Jesus would say. Knock. Knock and it'll be open to you. He didn't tell us that we had to go do something hard or difficult. He didn't say go build the house and the mansion and then knock on the door. He just said knock. Just knock. I want you to think about what that is. I mean, just for a second, we don't need to spend too much time, but even picture yourself standing in a home, knocking on the door. And then consider what it is that you're doing. Your purpose for being there is on the other side of the door. But you stand, and all you're doing is letting your presence be made known. I'm here whenever you're ready. Open the door. I got news for you. This for me personally, and maybe it's just my personality, this is where it, I find great difficulty. I, I've been humbled, so asking is no longer an issue. And then seeking, there's, there's something that I enjoy about the process of seeking. So that's not an issue. But then it comes to knocking. Where I've, I'm in the place of provision. And now I'm required to just wait. It's an unnatural thing. 
I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Psalm 25, verse 3. Indeed, none of those who wait for you, the you there is God, will be ashamed. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord favors those who fear him and who wait for his loving kindness. Waiting is an important thing. The things that will get in the way of waiting are things like impatience. Impatience is a natural thing. Patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Meaning patience is so important that God sent the Holy Ghost into my life so that I could have it. That would also mean that without Him I don't have it. Patience is necessary. And if we're impatient, it can hinder our ability to simply knock and wait for God's provision. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about people that have received the promises of God. Remember, we're talking about receiving things from God. And it gives a list of people that have received things from God. This list is meant to be an example for us. Not to see them as exclusive or, or as, as spectacular in any way, but these are people that have achieved the things that we're seeking after. And their lives are given as instruction and example for us. And I want to give you a passage of Scripture that's included in this chapter. Verse 12, Hebrews 6, verse 12. All of these people that received the things of God, this is our instruction concerning them. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Inherit meaning receive. They received from God. How did they receive from God? Faith and patience. Patience. I remember when I was born again and I read about the baptism Baptism in the Holy Spirit, I remember thinking that's, that's what I need, that's what I want. And I wanted it so bad. I talked to people that had, I'd ask questions, I had no problem asking questions other people might have thought were silly. But I just knew, God, if you did this, I want it. If this is the reason for the cross, then I want it. I want it, I want it, I want it, and I was focused on those things. So I would ask, and I would seek, I would yield my life to Him to pursue. And then I think the hardest thing for me, and probably the hardest thing for most people, was just to knock and know that I know that you love me, and I know that you know that I'm here. So in your timing, right when you say so, I'm ready to receive all that you got. Being able to knock is important. I mentioned to you that before we wound down this morning, we're going to find why we don't need to worry. I'd like for you to write this down. I'd like for you to turn there. And we're going to wrap up very quickly with this. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, you're reading the same thing that we read out of Luke earlier, where Jesus is telling us to ask and to seek and to knock. And he's teaching us that God, who's, who's perfect in his love and his affection for us, will give awesome gifts. He'll give the gift of the Holy Ghost. The same thing's being written here. But there's a part in the end that I want us to emphasize. The part that I want to emphasize is something that the whole world knows. 
Have you ever heard of the golden rule? Right? Do unto others as you'd have them. Yeah, there you go. Jesus said that. And he says it here. And I'd like to take what he says here and put it in context with what he's saying. And I'd like for us to let that touch our hearts and our minds today. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to close with this. Please pay attention. This is very important. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Remember, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And he goes on to make the same comparison. What man is there among you who if his son asks for a loaf of bread would give him a rock? Or if he asks for a fish would give him a snake. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And then he says this, in everything therefore. Did you hear therefore? Yeah, if you see a therefore, you need to ask yourself what it's there for. In everything therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. I hear Jesus speaking about asking, seeking, knocking. And according to Luke, all of this connected to the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew, he includes this, this concept of treating others the way you want to be treated. This is the law and the prophets. I remember asking and seeking and knocking. I was pursuing God for the promise of the Holy Ghost. And I think what is being spoken in Matthew isn't meant to be independent of that pursuit. As he's giving us this instruction to ask and to seek and to knock, he says, therefore, therefore, the, the things that you want from others, give them to others. And my new birth, my salvation, my baptism in the Holy Spirit fits that perfectly. Because I began to receive from God all of his promises the moment I began to treat God the way I wanted to be treated. I wanted Him to give me all of Himself. And when I was willing to give Him all of myself, that was the measure I got back. And oftentimes in churches, I think we've taken the promise of God and we've made it a credential, something that would be cool if we had it. But there's a hunger and an urgency that's meant to be in us that's willing to walk with a humble heart, that's willing to surrender our lives in seeking the Lord, and willing to wait patiently for His timing. All of those things requiring us to empty ourselves of selfishness. And the measure that we measure with is measured back to us. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.